When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? We're back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. I'm Justin Michael. Today, we are going to be going through the greatest what-ifs of the last decade or so for CSU football. If you follow me on Twitter, I posted about how, you know, about this time uh, five years ago, Colin Hill was named the starting quarterback for CSU football then a true freshman, obviously, before he tore his ACL three times. And I mentioned that he will go down as one of the greatest what-ifs in CSU football history. You know, how, what if he wouldn't have gotten hurt? You know, would he have kept the job? How much success would CSU have had? All of that stuff, I'll dive into it. But I've got a bunch of these, and I'm going to go in chronological order. So, I'll you know, I'll follow the natural timeline of things. But it just, I don't know, it felt like a, a fun little exercise to go through. I'll talk about on the next podcast kind of what we heard from Steve Adazio this week. You can obviously watch that press conference on YouTube. Um, I don't know, man. It's just a lot of the same stuff every time. You know, there's positives. We're building. People are impatient. Um, everyone else is the problem. I don't know. There's there's plenty to talk about as far as that goes, and we'll dive into it in the coming days. But I just figured this would be a little bit more more fun to go through, and I get to choose, so that's what I went with. Uh, before we kind of dive into all of this, want to bring up the watch party, which is this Saturday at Panhandler's Pizza in Fort Collins. There's beer, pizza, it's going to be a great time. Really looking forward to hanging out with the DNVR Rams community. If you can make it out, I'd love to talk football, basketball, you know, college football in general, NFL, whatever you want to talk about. I just want to hang out with you guys. Obviously, I'll have to pay attention, you know, during the game because I've got content to create as well. But it's going to be a little bit more laid back. It's going to be a fun approach. I'll I'll record the game. I can rewatch it as far as you know detailed writing goes and all that fun stuff. So it's it's just going to be a party. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to be there. Lindsay will be there. I'm hopefully going to have some you know old friends and and I'm really just kind of counting on you guys. I know that you know it, it's not a it's not the start to the season that anybody was hoping for. Obviously. <laughs> When you lose to an FCS team by three scores and when you lose to a, a team that competes with Kansas for the crown of most irrelevant in the Power Five, it, it's always going to be a frustrating frustrating experience. I'm not telling anybody they shouldn't be pissed off. Still got Trey McBride, still got Ryan Stonehouse. The defensive line looked a lot better. The run game looked better. I mean, this is going to be a really tough matchup. I've already alluded to it for the last couple of months. I, I thought going into the season that the trip to Toledo would be really hard, and I, I really think it's it's going to be once again. They got Brian Kobach still. He rushed all over CSU. I'm going to write about that. He's just a beast in the backfield. It's a really explosive Toledo offense, and obviously they're going to be feeling confident because they really should have upset Notre Dame. But win or lose, we're going to have fun. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk CSU. We can talk about the future. We can talk about college football expansion, you know, a playoff expansion, whatever you guys want to do. I just want to hang out with the DNVR Rams community because at the end of the day, you know, we're all we've got. 
we already know that the rest of the Denver media, they're going to be out on CSU already because they're 0-2. Maybe, I mean, maybe some fans are out as well. Maybe they're just disinterested. But I hope that's not the case because, again, you know, even if CSU were to go 0-12 this year, which I don't think they will, but it's certainly fair to bring up that it would be possible because their schedule is just so tough. Even if they were to go go 0-12, though, you still got to appreciate college football a little bit and just remember how close we were to losing it all in the pandemic. And I don't know, maybe it's just because my my job is dependent on college athletics. So I'm still kind of in that honeymoon phase, just excited to be back. But again, I I can't tell anyone that they shouldn't feel frustrated at this point of the season. We're just trying to make lemonade out of lemons. You know, that's all we can do. I don't have the power to impact change on that level. You know, I, I don't get to make coaching decisions. CSU isn't listening to my input. You know, I could get on here every day and say they should have hired Tony Alford or they should have hired A, B, or C, you know? But at the end of the day, it's just my opinion, same as all of you. Anyways, that was a a whole side rant. The the main point of this is it's going to be a really fun time at Panhandlers. And the more people show up, the more I'm going to be able to sell this to DNVR as, you know, a reliable or a viable option. You know, we've got a great basketball team. It would be awesome to have all kinds of watch parties, you know, throughout the, the winter and the spring. And maybe even down the line for some more football games, especially if things turn around. It's kind of a tricky situation right now for CSU in general, just when it comes to relevancy, you know? Because obviously people are are discontented and they're frustrated with the results. And like I said, I cannot tell those people that they shouldn't be. But we're in this weird spot where it's a race for these G5 teams to kind of prove that they're a, a team that's worth taking in terms of the future of college football. And if all of a sudden CSU just isn't a a team that has any type of support, you know, that's obviously going to hurt those chances. It's going to hurt the the chances of getting high quality TV games. It's going to hurt the chances of people talking about CSU other than me. I mean, mean, you know, I'll be here no matter what. I don't know. I guess it's kind of like the Rockies dilemma. You know, do you not show up, not give your money and hope that it sparks change, knowing that that's probably not going to do anything anyways, or do you continue to go because you support these players and you love the team and, you know, CSU pride and all that? I understand that there's a dilemma that goes through it. It's just at the end of the day, if you want CSU to be relevant, then it starts with, you know, it starts with the fan base here. They've got to be relevant here before they're going to be relevant to the casuals. Food for thought. Anyways, let's jump into those biggest what ifs of the last decade for CSU football. Before we do, though, Guys, it's stressful trying to buy a house right now. If you've attempted this process, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The housing market in Colorado is crazy. Let Mike and Virginia Chevalier of Chevalier Mortgage, our presenting sponsors, just take some of the burden off of you. They're going to alleviate so much stress, take that worry off your plate. Chevalier Mortgage's ultimate goal is to take the stress out of buying and refinancing. They strive to give their borrowers options with their full financial picture in mind with the highest level of integrity, always putting their borrowers first. Mike and Virginia are proud DNVR members. They are CSU alum. They work nights. They work weekends. They do what it takes to make sure their clients are getting the best loan for their situation. Right now, they have a fun perk for DNVR listeners. If you visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, you can enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, you're going to get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. You can also call Mike directly at 970-412-412. 2472. Tell them Justin from DNVR Ram sent you. Or again, visit dnvrmortgage.com. 
Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, let's jump into it. You know, I already kind of teased the Colin Hill one, so I added an extra one. I'm going to frame this as the five greatest, but I guess technically I'm giving six. Starting in 2013, 2013 was a weird season because it was the first year where the Rams really started to experience consistent success under Jim McElwain. There were flashes in 2012. I mean, they beat CU in Jim McElwain's first ever game, and the Rams really closed that season strong despite you know, kind of a, a rough middle part. They lost to North Dakota State. They lost to a, a lot of teams. But in 2013, it started really rough. I mean, they started one and three and actually two and four overall. So it kind of looked like, oh man, we're in for another rough season. You start the year with a 14 point loss against Colorado. They were competitive. The defense just was not good enough in that one. The game that, that really frustrates me. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I've, I brought this one up just in terms of random losses that that really just sting and stick with you it would be game two of the the 2013 season this was my freshman year at csu i was actually an intern for csu football the rams go on the road at tulsa and they lose 30 to 27 in what was just such a frustrating game csu had more talent and it was evident and i mean tulsa came to four cons the next year and the rams just beat the living hell out of them they they exercised some of those demons but like I said, it was a it was a slow start to that year for CSU in which they finished eight and six, seven and six in the regular season. They played the extra game because they played Hawaii. If you just start with a win in one of those two, you know, now you're looking at an eight win regular season and, and things are, are changing drastically. On top of that, a couple weeks later, after going to Alabama and performing pretty well and then beating UTEP 59-42 on Ag Day. CSU lost by a touchdown at home to San Jose State. You know, you win those two games, you're looking at a 10-win season, then it's back-to-back 10-win seasons for CSU. Again, that that 2013 season was awesome anyways. I mean, there are a lot of memories that I have from that year. Even, like, in some ways, I, I almost look back on that year more fondly. They, After losing to San Jose State, they rebounded by going up to Laramie and beating Wyoming by 30 then they beat Hawaii in a close one, lose to Boise State in a competitive game, but after that, they really roll, uh, beat Nevada, score 66 at New Mexico. <laughs> that was the, the Crockett-Gilmore game. Capri Bibbs had like five or six rushing touchdowns on that one. They did lose 13-0 at Utah State, but in the sake of revenge, they, they beat them in 2014 as well. I just can't help but think, you know, what if the Rams would have gotten off to a hotter start that year? Would it have been a 10-win season? Would it have been an 11-win season? If that would have been the case, obviously you wouldn't have made the New Mexico Bowl. You wouldn't have played Washington State. You wouldn't have played in one of the craziest college football games of all time. And what is still, in my opinion, the most memorable CSU game of the last decade. Uh, Arkansas was awesome, but that 2018 season sucked. And because of that, I just think the the drama and, and how it all played out. And obviously you had Connor Halliday like chirping at the sidelines like, just the way that whole game played out, it was so awesome. And there was so much excitement in the program. You know, like I said, it was a rough start to that year, but you closed really strong. And then you beat a Power 5 team dramatically in a bowl game. So I guess maybe in some ways it, it was best that it did play out that way. Just one for the storyline, but also two, I think there's something to be said about 
having to to face adversity as a program, especially when you're building something, you lose a couple of tight ones early and then you kind of just keep building on it and building on it. And then obviously they they explode for a tremendous season in 2014. Would there would there have been a sense of complacency in 2014 if they won 10 or 11 games off the bat? Or are they just confident in CSU just for two years is, you know, a top 25 team out of the Mountain West and, and looking hot? It's It's fun to think about. So my next greatest what if, and <laughs> this is a, a what if for a lot of CSU fans, unfortunately, is what if Jim McElwain would have never left for Florida? Would he still be here? Where would the program be at? Would the Rams be out of the Mountain West? Would they have come back to life after the 2014 season? I think they probably would have followed up you know, with a really successful year in 2015 because I think that team kind of underperformed under Mike Bobo and struggled to find their identity early. I'll actually get into that. I have more what-ifs in that, but there's just kind of some minor what-ifs tied into the major one here when it comes to Jim McElwain and the Florida situation. Really, that 2014 season is weird because, like I said, 2013 was frustrating at times, and although they only finished 8-6, and six, I just remember it so fondly. As amazing as the 2014 season was, and it was awesome, do not get me wrong, with the way that it ended just from a frustration level between the game at the Air Force Academy where... McElwain clearly had one foot out the door and he's just not even calling the game smart at the end. They go for it, end up giving Air Force an easy opportunity to kick a field goal instead of just playing for overtime. You have the better offense. Like I said, just losing that game against Air Force and then getting absolutely kicked in the teeth by Utah in the Las Vegas Bowl after McElwain leaves. McElwain comes and does a halftime interview during CSU's bowl game. I got to say, I love Mac because he was good to me during my time working for CSU football. I was not important at all. Again, like I'm, I've never tried to make it seem like I was some big wig there. I was a student intern. I worked in the coaching office as an assistant for Tom Ellers, the director of football operations. I helped out just kind of with general tasks. I did whatever they wanted. I did help cut up some film and stuff like that, but it wasn't like I was a recruiting analyst or anything like that. I did get to watch some film with some of the guys, but that was more just because I was a, a curious mind and I loved seeing how the whole process worked. But McElwain was always good to me when I was there. He called me Peyton and sometimes he called me Tulo. It kind of depended <laughs> on the situation. Mac was one of those guys. He didn't know a lot of guys' names. And I know that that rubs some people the, the wrong way. But again, I had I had no business thinking, you know, oh, Jim McElwain should know who I was. But he did know who I was and he was always nice to me. He'd talk football with me. You know, he'd ask about my family and stuff. So I, I was a big Jim McElwain fan. So it, it stung when he left, you know, it was a, it was kind of like a personal bill. Like, man, like I really like this dude and he's just dipping on us right as, right as things are getting good. There were some other things tied into that, that, that rubbed me the wrong way. Just the way that the process was handled in terms of, you know, I, I feel like he didn't do a good job of being honest and respectful to the people that helped him build up CSU. Obviously he deserves the ultimate praise, and he was a great coach. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I wish Jim McElwain was still the head coach of CSU football, but he kept a lot of people in the dark. I mean, it was a point where like coaches are asking media people if they have information. That's not how you go about it. If you know you're leaving, and everyone knew he was leaving, that's what was annoying. You know, be honest with people, you know, and I know it's tough because you don't like want the news to break and there's all that, but it wasn't like the, the courtship was very private. You know, Florida coming out here with their AD swinging their balls, that pissed me off too. 
it was a total power move. You know, was, we're a SEC team. We have the resources. We're coming. We're taking this guy, whether you like it or not. So you better cave. And CSU obviously ultimately kind of did. I think they probably should have held their ground a little bit. I mean, they did get that game against Florida and all that. I just, they shouldn't reduce the buyout at all. If anything, they should have been like, you want him? Like, give us double it. Or I don't know. They just, they should have strong armed him a little bit. And I know that a lot of former players feel the same way. But I guess the counter is if you have a coach that truly doesn't want to be here, that's probably a bad position for your program. It just sucks how it all played out. So, you know, I, I wish CSU would have at least beaten Air Force that year. It, it would have made things interesting as far as a conference championship went. That whole year, I mean, there were three really good teams in the West. Boise State, CSU, and Air Force were all 10-win teams that year. I believe at nine or 10-win teams. They were all really good. I'll just always wonder, you know, what if Jim wouldn't have left? What would have happened? I mean, from a long-term perspective, there's all kinds of things you can dive in because obviously you don't have the Bobo era you don't have five years of just completely getting dominated by your rivals and losing every big game. And that was the thing about McElwain. I mean, those teams, they were ready for the big moments. They were up for them. You know, just looking at 2015 alone, you know, you lose to a really mediocre CU team. You miss like three field goals. Maybe McElwain's a little more aggressive, goes for it on fourth down in one of those situations. That was his thing. I mean, he would fake punt. He would fake kick. Like he was willing to go in his bag a little bit and, he played to win. You know, he really played to win. Would that have made a difference in that CU game? Would that have made a difference in the Minnesota game? You know, that that was one that you should have won at home, and it, it was an untimely fumble, unfortunately. But again, you know, maybe a little bit more aggressiveness would have been the difference there. It's, that's the difference between a seven-win season and a nine-win season. And, and even if he would have ultimately left after 2015, which again, like, if we really want to play the, the hypothetical game, let's say they won those two games in 2013. They had a 10-win season. They had another 10-win season in 2014. And then McElwain comes back in, in 2015 and follows it up with a 9- or 10-win season. He could have left at that point. And, you know, maybe just CSU just ends up landing a dynamite hire instead of Mike Bobo. And, and no disrespect intended because I did enjoy working with Mike Bobo. And I, I do think he's a brilliant offensive mind. It just, from a success standpoint, that obviously didn't work out here. Regardless, he did leave, and Mike Bobo came in, and in 2015, it was really, if there was ever an indicator of what the Mike Bobo era was going to be like, I think 2015 was probably a perfect in indicator. I mean, generally speaking, it, it got rough at the end, or and you know, 2018 was bad, but even that 2019 team was competitive, but I think that was just like the Mike Bobo era in a nutshell was relatively competitive but generally inept in the biggest moments, and they would find ways to lose. And that's what CSU did in 2015. They lost to Minnesota by a field goal at home in a game they could have won. They lost to CU in Denver the following week in a game where they missed like three field goals. I think obviously lost the bowl game against Nevada, who was very mediocre that year. In his credit in 2015, they, they did go up to Laramie and dominate a pretty good Wyoming team. And I mean, they completely contained Brian Hill they won that game 26-7. to seven. That I have a lot of fond memories of that game. I went up there with my dad. It was a fun game. CSU basketball actually played a, an exhibition at home. <laughs> I just got a student ticket for my dad, and then me and my cousin Jay and my dad, we, uh, we went to the, the Wyoming game. We went to the basketball game. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so I do look back on that one fondly, and I look back on the win over Air Force fondly as well because, again, that was one year after CSU 
should have beaten them in the academy. They they had it and just dumb play calling from McAvoy. And that was the one time where his aggressiveness was the wrong move. But that that's how it goes. Anyways, I'm I'm going down the weeds now. My what if for 2015 though is what if Richard Higgins would have came back after this season because he had a pretty good year. You know, in 2015 under Mike Bobo, it it wasn't the the same numbers that he put up under Jim McQueen. In 2014, I mean, 96 catches, 1,750 yards, and 17 touchdowns is one of the greatest seasons by any college wide receiver ever. Like, Rashard Higgins was so impressive, he better be in the College Football Hall of Fame someday. I'll, I'll even go on record in saying that. Like, he was so good that his 2015 year which would have been a career year for 99% of college wide receivers with 74 catches, 1,061 yards, and eight touchdowns. So still a really productive year. It felt pedestrian, though, because that's how dominant he was. And obviously, new coach, new system, new quarterback. I mean, in 2014, you do benefit from having Garrett Grayson just in his prime, getting in his bag. I mean, he was so masterful with that offense. That was about as fun as any group that I've ever had watching, just from a X's and O's standpoint, I mean, they would move down the field like it was nothing. Their O-line was nasty. They had a strong run game. Garrett was meticulous. He was accurate. They were big time. I mean, they won that game at Boston College. Like, that team was just so much fun. And I just wonder, you know, if Higgins would have came back in 2016, you know, let's say even if he has just a number, another season like he did in 2015, does that make him, you know, a third round draft pick, a second round draft pick like Michael Gallup and instead of a fifth round draft pick in Cleveland where he was kind of a, a prion on an island for a couple of years? It does seem like his situation is improving. Him and Baker Mayfield have great chemistry, but he's more or less been wasted talent for the majority of his NFL career. And, you know, I just wonder if he would have came back one more college season if you know, some scouts really fall in love with him. They're like, you want to know what? This dude absolutely ate for three straight years. He's worth a second round pick. And on top of that, it, it might change his NFL potential. It might change his NFL trajectory. But how does it impact CSU's trajectory in 2016? That was another team that won seven games. They started slow and, and closed strong. But could you imagine a CSU offense with Rashard Higgins, with Michael Gallup with BC Johnson, with Dietrich Clark, with Dalen. I mean, that would have been so lethal. I mean, that's a team that went to San Diego State and hung 50-plus on a really good Aztec defense in the, in the season finale. Again, they lost the Potato Bowl, but they scored 50 points. Offense was not the problem. You put Higgins on that offense, too. Maybe that's just the difference CSU needs. Again, their defense just wasn't that great that year, but... Maybe they're so potent offensively that teams just can't stop them. And, you know, that's the difference. That helps you upset an Air Force at the academy instead of losing by three. That helps you win that weird Boise State game where you almost came back with multiple onside kicks. You just, you never know. (laughs) And, you know, actually, as I'm going through this argument, I realized I did not go through one of my one-ifs. I actually skipped it. I had one before that, what if Jim McElwain didn't leave for Florida? Um... Yeah, I might as well just give it. It's it's the same line. What if Capri Bibbs would have stayed for 2014, you know? He had an incredible 2013 year, one of the best seasons by any running back ever. But if he comes back in 2014, does CSU run the table? Do they upset Boise State early in the year? You know, do they win that Air Force game? I mean, 
Is, is CSU a, a New Year's Six team? Are they in the Fiesta Bowl or something? Who knows? I will say, if they would have ran the table, you definitely would have would have lost Jim McElwain. But just wanted to briefly go into that one since I forgot to go over it. Uh, but I've got a couple of more of these that are you know part of the the Bobo era and moving forward. Before we dive into those, though, got to shout out the homies over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Week one may be over, but the season is just getting started with DraftKings Sportsbook. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer. All you have to do is bet $1 on any football game this week, and you're going to receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they place a $1 bet or more on any football game this weekend. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, which makes it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That promo code DNVR to get your $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I also want to talk about the smoking hot deals going on at Solace Meds all September long. They're the premier dispensary and they are always hooking it up. Seriously, they just have the incredible deals every single month. I mean, Solace Meds has four convenient Colorado locations, one in Fort Collins, one in Wheat Ridge, one off Broadway, and one just blocks away on East Colfax from the DNVR bar. All September long, you can get Can America gummies for 25% off. Strains tinctures are 20% off. Rockin' cartridges are 25% off, and Glacier Concentrates are 20% off as well. If you head into any location, you can get a free Solace Bar or King Cone. When you mention the code DNVR20, you're getting a free hookup, literally a free edible. On top of that, they're going to give you 20% off your entire order. So you're missing out if you're not buying all of your products through Solace Meds. They make your cannabis shopping experience a delight. Head to their website, view their menu, order online, pick up at your convenience, S-O-L-A-C-E-Meds.com, purchase from there. Make sure that you are using that code DNVR20 so they know that we sent you and so you don't miss out on those killer bargains and the the free edible. You don't want to miss out on the hookup. Shout out Solace Meds, real homies. We love them. All right, the next greatest what if when it comes to CSU football is what if Colin Hill had never gotten hurt? How does it impact the Bobo era? How does it change things? I mean, do the Rams win the Mountain West Conference in 2017? Or does not that much change? Because the truth is, Nick Stevens was tremendous down the stretch in 2016, and he was even better in 2017. There's honestly an argument that what if what if they just would have redshirted Colin Hill as freshman year? I mean, Nick Stevens, he did not play well against Colorado. That was the game that they lost 44 to 7. It was Really, really embarrassing. But after that, we had this completely forced quarterback competition between Fatone Bauta and Stevens and and then Colin Hill, who obviously got the the start week three after UTSA, despite, I think, I actually thought Stevens played pretty well against UTSA, did have a turnover. But, you know, Colin Hill lights it up against Northern Colorado in his first ever start, goes on the road and plays really well at Minnesota. The Rams kind of get dominated in that Wyoming game by Josh Allen. That was the game, the uniform game, where they come out in the normal uniforms for warm-ups, and then 
go back into the locker room and change in the all grays. And obviously when you lose by three scores after pulling move like that, you are going to get memed and the Rams did. But then they went on the road at Utah State, and that's where Colin Hill got hurt. Nick Stevens comes back in. He actually leads a comeback victory. And from there on, the job is his until the end of his career. And he just played really, really great. You know, CSU almost beat Boise State the week after that. Absolutely beat down UNLV. Had a 37-0 win over Fresno State. One of the more dominant conference wins. I just remember being hot as hell at Hughes Stadium that day, Saturday afternoon. Totally dominant. And then after that, you have the 49-46 loss at Air Force. One of the more exciting games. I mean, again, you you lose a brutal one, but at least that game was pretty fun. I mean, it's unlike the, the Boise State game where you just blow a 25-point lead. It was just back and forth all night. There was a huge missed personal foul in that one. They called targeting, but they didn't call a personal foul. Then they reviewed and said it was not targeting. Should have been roughing the passer on Stevens. It totally swung the game. That's a whole different argument, but... Again, there's kind of some sub-what-ifs in there. You know, what if they just would have rolled with Stevens? We wouldn't have had to suffer through the Fatone Bauto experience. No, you know, no offense intended to him. He is a very good dude based on everything I've ever been told and my experiences around him, but, you know, just not a very good quarterback. I think that was obvious. Um, But what if Colin wouldn't have gotten hurt? You know, how would it have impacted the Bobo era? Would it have made no changes? I mean, I he, I just think he would have been so good. I mean, he he had a keen ability to, to lead the offense. I mean, I just think he was a natural leader. And he did have a bigger arm than Nick Stevens, as, as well as Stevens was able to run that offense down the stretch of 2016 and throughout the 2017 season. And again, I mean, he's the program's all-time leader in touchdown passes for a reason. Like, the dude was masterful at operating that Bobo offense. He made smart decisions with the football he did have some arm limitations that Colin Hill just didn't have. I mean, his his ability to stretch the field, and, and we saw it even post-injury a little bit. Like, that 2019 season, he was rolling early, man. Like, I know they lost the showdown, but he hit Dante Wright a couple of times. He hit Warren Jackson a couple of times. You could feel that that offense was connecting well. Then after that, they beat Western Carolina, I believe, where he throws a just a monster shot to Dante Wright, who's just torches a DB on a seam route. Like you could tell that offense was going to be exciting. They even made some plays in the Arkansas game before he got hurt. It just kills me to think what could have been if Colin Hill wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten injured. Maybe Bobo's still the coach, but everybody loves him because they have all kinds of success. Or maybe they had so much success that Bobo's gone and got another job and we're with a different prime candidate instead of the situation that we ended up in. I mean, there's just so many layers to this once you start going down the rabbit hole. Uh, My final what if, and this is the most recent, what if CSU had just hired Tony Alford? I don't know if he would have been successful or not. He's never been a head coach, never even like really been a full offensive coordinator, but he's highly regarded as one of the best recruiters in the country. He bleeds green and gold. I mean, he's an alum. He's long wanted the job. He's interviewed for it multiple times. He's passionate about rebuilding CSU football, or he was until he kind of got, you know, treated pretty poorly by the administration here the last couple of years and passed over for for people that just don't make a whole lot of sense. You know, if you would have went out and you got some other up-and-comer, I don't think people would have been as frustrated. I think they were just frustrated with the fact that they went with a guy who 
Although, you know, I, I do think there is an argument that going 500 in the ACC is somewhat impressive. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. I'm not saying that it's anything to, to write home about or anything. I just think I did understand the argument that, well, if you went 500 in the ACC, maybe you could come out to the, the Mountain West or, you know, a G5 conference and have a little bit more success. I did understand that argument, but it clearly hasn't played out that way. People are really dejected. It, it really seems like the program is, is trending in a pretty disastrous situation. You know, you definitely can't afford the buyout right now, and I'm not even sure they're going to be able to afford it after this season. I mean, that's still 1.5, million, excuse me, is still a lot of money. I think they got to wait until it drops to like 1.5. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a tough situation, but if they would have hired Alfred again, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that everything would have been different because he's relatively unproven. But, I mean, what kind of impact does it make from a recruiting perspective? Are they not signing guys and then losing them immediately? And beyond that, even if you do have a slow start, I think I think the reaction would have been much different from the fan base because there just would have been faith in him. There would have been this sense of optimism, like, he's our guy. He's had a ton of success as a recruiter for one of the best programs in the country. We just got to give him a little bit of time to get his guys in and to build it up. Instead, they went with a guy that people just weren't excited about, and whether it's it's fair or not, they were they were waiting for him to fail, and I mean he did it early, so he he made it pretty easy for his loudest critics, and they're only going to get louder if CSU continues to struggle. I just think going with Alford would have bought CSU a couple of years of good faith. One, it would have bought some brownie points with the administration. Two, because I mean, let's be real, people have not been happy with. Joe Parker over the last couple of years, especially just due to the the lack of on-field success. And then beyond that, I, I just think it would have been a, a whole lot more positive this year. So I don't know. I think it, it's easy to, to look at something in hindsight and say this was obvious because, again, you know, I, I did have my own questions about Alfred's potential just given his lack of experience. But the truth is, is you can't get experience until you get promoted and, or until, you know, you get that job. So it's kind of a you're damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Alas, we're in the situation that we're in. going to be real interesting to see how the school chooses to uh, navigate these waters over the next couple of years because you've got a big shiny stadium that you've got to put butts in the seats in. You know, you can't can't preach, you know, five years from now we're going to be in a good place. You're going to be irrelevant five years from now. you got to win now you got to win now. College football is changing. It's an arms race. You're going to get left behind if you go with the slow, oh, you know, each week we're getting just a little bit better. It's easy to sell that when you're winning a couple of games, but, I mean, the Rams are staring down the barrel of 0-5, and then after that, who knows, because that game at Utah State is going to be hella tough. And New Mexico is always up for CSU. They haven't beat them in a decade. They always play the Rams hard, and it's a huge goal of theirs to beat CSU. Other than that, I mean, Wyoming, they look dangerous. Their defense doesn't look as good as expected, but they're gritty. They're finding a way to win. Sean Chambers, definitely the heartbeat of that team. Air Force, they don't look tremendous, but they look competitive. That's for sure. I mean, Boise State (laughs) looks really good. Where are the wins coming? Hawaii, probably. I mean, Hawaii does not look good right now. They're another team that's underperforming despite the talent. Uh, my favorite critic on Twitter. I'm not even going to say his name and give him the credit, but I'm sure you've seen him, the same dude that's always throwing shots because I 
was optimistic coming into the season. He's like, oh, you know, Hawaii is supposed to be good according to Justin D. Michael. It's like, all right. Sorry for not being the guy that came in and was like, everybody fucking sucks. Everything sucks all the time. Sucks, sucks, sucks. Just not the way I consume sports, man. Don't have to follow me. That's the that's the funny thing for a, for a guy that seems to sure hate me. I seem to be on his mind quite a bit. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm going down a whole rabbit hole in now. But um, these were just you know some of the what ifs. These were some of the biggest what ifs for CSU football of the last decade or so. And uh, yeah, I don't know if people are are had fun with this exercise or if they're just depressed now because of the sequence events. It starts all positive. You know, the Rams could have been a top twenty five team if just couple things had gone differently, like three straight 10-1 seasons, and by the end, it's like, well, maybe we wouldn't be the laughing stock, because that's what the Rams are right now. They're the butt of all kinds of national jokes. They're in the conversation from National College Football Pundits for worst program in the FBS. I mean, the mighty have fallen very quickly. Very quickly. That sucks. No other way to put it. But uh, we'll uh, we'll have plenty of content coming up again. We do have the watch party coming this weekend. Please come to Panhandlers if you can. Also, RSVP for us on the Eventbrite. It's currently our pinned tweet on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rams. I'll share it out a couple of more times just to give us an idea of what to expect. We're going to bring some gear up. We don't want to bring way too much or, or not enough. I mean, it, it would just give us an idea of, of what to expect. So I would appreciate it if you would go ahead and just RSVP there. I'll be there. Lindsay will be there. Hopefully all kinds of Ram fans will be there. That's all I have for today's podcast. I'm Justin Michael. This is the DMVR Rams pod presented by Chevalier Mortgage. Thank you to everybody that continues to support the content. Win or lose, I'm going to continue to have CSU football content. And as we get closer to basketball season, I'm just going to amp it up. And man, am I looking forward to basketball season. Uh, Speaking of basketball season, I guess before we go, I do have a, a quick little scoop and I'll talk about this more on the next episode, that game against Tulsa, which is a a neutral site game. It was originally going to be in the Pepsi Center. Then it was supposed to be at the Budweiser Event Center up north, and it was going to be really cool because it would have been a more intimate atmosphere. That's one of my big complaints about college basketball games in the Pepsi Center is it's it's generally just lifeless in a big, empty arena, and it kind of sucks. Budweiser would have been cool because you would have had people from throughout NOCO there. But at at the last second... Tulsa, the, the, their coaches kind of pulled out. Uh, now that game is actually going to be at a neutral court in Dallas, which is not super ideal because it's probably going to be like a quad three game. So you would have rather been playing that out here. Uh, but a chance to be in front of more eyes. I mean, more games in Texas isn't a bad thing. Texas has obviously been one of CSU's hottest recruiting beds, Isaiah Stevens. They've gone there in recent years and had a ton of success as well. So just something to keep an eye on, but that uh, that Tulsa game is now going to be in, in Texas instead. It is not going to be in Colorado. It's not going to be at the Pepsi Center. Kind of a bummer. I, I was looking forward to ha- seeing the, the return game. The, the first one was obviously really exciting, an absolute thriller. But yeah, I'll talk about that more in the coming days. But just a little scoop for the DNVR Rams listeners. That uh, completed schedule should come out soon. CSU, they're actually going to leave one spot open, so there's actually the potential that the Rams could add a game. I mean, you never know what's going to happen as far as like COVID and stuff. So uh, the Rams leaving themselves a little bit of wiggle room instead of just scheduling, you know, a, a gimme win or some small score. Something it, it's not going to help their cause. You know, it just really isn't. They scheduled up. They're swinging for the fences this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing just how this whole season plays out because I think this Rams team is just going to be so special. 
And uh, really looking forward to more coverage and more stuff with Team DNVR athlete David Roddy. We're going to have a David Roddy shirt that's going to come out as well. So all kinds of dope stuff. And our Trey McBride shirt is completed. It's going to launch. It's going to be super dope. It's officially licensed. That's right. We can now use officially licensed stuff for CSU and CU. Your, uh, your boys are on the rise. We're going to have some stuff at Shields. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, that's all we have now. I've been rambling for the last couple of minutes. Peace. Khakis wearing graphic tees, feeling way too trendy. Raps that kill. Oh, I'm deadly. Primed and ready like machetes at a deli in New Delhi. Feeling scummy like Martin Scarelli. Turn jam into jelly, then drink it like juice. The water's the truth, so I sip on that too. Skinny looking kid with no car keys. Like the only thing I drive is RCRV. He's got the stash like Steve Harvey. Oh, I'm gnarly like non